Hello Hayes, a couple of our other friends tried to get Taylor Swift tickets. She didn't even consider going with me. How do I ask her why she never wants to talk to me about sex? Is it unrealistic to want to be celebrated? I would have gotten them a gift. This is where the shift begins. So enough with that bad fucking attitude and you are good enough. It's a painful truth, but that's never gotten someone to care about us more. <laughs> God, I'm fucking crazy. Okay, hello hazelnuts and welcome to the Hello Hayes podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Hayes Robinson, but you can call me Hayes. That's where the original music is gonna go, which we don't have yet, but we will, we will one day. We made it. Here we are recording the very first episode of the Hello Hayes podcast, which I think is the number one requested thing that I do from the hazelnuts. And I've been wanting to for a while, but I'm a bit of a perfectionist and this is not gonna be perfect. This is not gonna be perfect, but I wanted to make sure I could get as close to perfect as I possibly could uh, within the circumstances. Circumstances being I've never made a podcast before. I teach myself how to use a mic and a camera on Final Cut Pro. So I've been spending some time doing that and I think we're finally ready to go. In our first ever episode of Hello Haze, I'm talking about friendship expectations, which I find to be a complicated topic. I feel like having the right expectations for your relationships is actually one of the most important ways that they stay and remain successful. Finding those right expectations can be really hard. I think there's a whole chunk of people who either have way too high of expectations or way too low. And I know we all want a direct, a direct formula for how to know what the right expectations are for any given relationship in our life. But a formula doesn't exist because every relationship is different. Expectation setting is like, it's like cooking, it's not baking. Some cookies are gonna need more salt than others. Does that analogy work? I'm not sure. The expectations are the salt, you know? I don't know, he's let that one go. I do have high expectations for everyone in my life, but the bar or like the level for what high expectations actually is, is very pliable. High expectations for my husband are not the same as a friend. Expectations within friends are not the same for each other. I could have two best friends who, whom I love dearly, I feel equally as close to, and my expectations of them are not the same because each relationship is different. I also, I feel like expectations is also a complicated topic to discuss because for so long, so many people, women in particular, have been lowering their expectations, right? Our expectations are literally on the floor. How could they be lowered any further? And I worry sometimes, I worry sometimes that talking about this, suggesting that people lower their expectations could be taken out of context. Is that what I mean to say? No, I think what I mean to say is that I don't always know who I'm talking to, right? You don't wanna tell someone to lower their expectations if their expectations are already lowered beyond belief. When you have that feeling of my expectations aren't being met, I think it can mean two things. It can mean that your gut is trying to tell you this relationship is bad news, you gotta run the other way, or it's a sign that your expectations are off. There's a misalignment going on. And I think in the case of friendship, it's often that. People think it's number one. They think my gut is telling me this relationship is bad, this friend isn't worth my time. When really you as the person who's feeling like they're not meeting your expectations, your expectations might just be too high. But I don't even wanna call them high. It's not the right word, Hayes. What can we call this? I don't wanna call them high expectations because high expectations is important, but unrealistic expectations is maybe better. Unfair. Unrealistic might be the best word. Why do I think that? Why, why do I believe that a lot of times people's expectations around their friends are off? Well, it's because of the number one most important friendship theory that I've developed in my life. And if you know me from TikTok, you've heard me talk about this multiple times before. The six besties theory is the idea that in life, we have different friends for different purposes. And before you bristle at the term purpose, I'm not talking about like transactional friendships. I'm saying no one person in your life can fulfill every single need that you have, every single desire, every single interest. And expecting any one person to 
I think it's I think it sets us up for failure. As I thought about it more, I realized that there are six different types of besties, six different archetypes of besties that I have in my life that have completed, that together have made this really beautiful whole picture of relationships. And having all of them allows me to not put too much pressure on any one person. So let's do a quick overview of the six besties. There's the original bestie, the OG bestie. That's often the person that you went to high school with, someone you've known forever. Like they know your roots, they know your family, but maybe you don't still talk all of the time. Then there's the good time bestie. This is the one that you go to for a good time. She's also available for you when you need her, but oftentimes the way that she's able to show up for you is through activities. Then there's the work bestie, your best friend at work. Oftentimes work besties can transcend into a different type, but for me, I always needed to have somebody at work that I connect with. What's the point of having a job? Well, many points of having a job. <laughs> Livelihood pays, money, food on the table, but having a friend at work has always made it a lot better. Then there's the dead body bestie. This is the person that you call when you are in trouble and you know they will not judge you. They will pick up the phone, they will ask no questions, and they are there to help out in a pinch. Then there's the seasonal bestie. This is somebody who's in the same season of life as you. If you're a new mom, maybe it's somebody you've met in your new mom group. It's someone who's just interested in and engaged in the stage of life that you're in right now. And then lastly, the North Star bestie. The North Star bestie, I mean, it's the person who guides you home. Conversations with them make you feel more like yourself. And this is the bestie that creates a lot of trouble. And by that, I mean, Sometimes we expect our good time bestie to be our North Star bestie, right? Something, something really stressful has happened. We call our good time bestie up and we meet for drinks and they, your good time bestie isn't connecting with you on the level that you want her to. And instead of appreciating her for being there and for making you laugh, you hyperfixate on the fact that she like isn't that deep. She can't quite get it or she's not saying the exact right thing. Well, you might be expecting her to be a North Star bestie. See what I'm saying? If it sounds confusing, don't worry. We're gonna keep talking about six besties as we go through all of these letters today and then letters in the future. I mean, these terms come up all of the time and like with learning anything, we're not supposed to get it in one sitting. The goal is that the more we use this language, the more we talk about the six besties, the more we talk about friendship expectations, I don't know, it starts to become, you start to internalize it more and it becomes more natural for you to think about. So with that, let's hear from today's three hazelnuts. Letter one, hello Hayes. My North Star bestie and I have been friends for over half our lives. We grew up together, went to college together, and have gone through every major life event side by side. We no longer live in the same state, but that hasn't impacted our closeness, and every time we're together, it's like no time has passed. We know each other so well, and we can talk about just about anything, except for one particular topic, sex. We grew up in the same conservative religious community full of purity culture, and at one point in our lives, we both believed in waiting until marriage to have sex. We've both since left the church and the ideas around sex we were taught, but I've noticed that my bestie doesn't seem to be comfortable talking about sex specifically with me. For example, when she had sex for the first time years ago, she told every one of our close friends about it except for me, and I had to hear about it from a mutual friend. I brought it up to her at the time and asked why she didn't tell me, and she sort of brushed it off and said she just felt weird talking to me about it because we had both grown up in that purity culture. But I also lost my virginity at this point, so it wasn't like I'd be judgmental about it. Fast forward to now, and sometimes she'll talk about sex around me in a group setting of girlfriends, but we've almost never broached the topic one-on-one. -on -one. I chalked it up to her just being a little bit more guarded until a few months ago when I learned something pretty major about her sex life from another mutual friend, and to this day, she has still never told me. Based on what our mutual friend shared, I've gone through a very similar situation in my sex life that my bestie knows about, so I guess I'm just feeling hurt that she wouldn't share with me or ask for my advice on it. I of course don't want to make her talk about things she's not comfortable with, but my feelings are hurt that she's sharing these intimate things about herself with other friends and not me. I'd really like to understand why she evidently feels like she can't talk about these things with me in the same way she can with other friends. 
I just don't know how to broach the subject with her, especially without revealing that our mutual friend has shared details about her sex life with me. How do I ask her why she never wants to talk to me about sex? Yours, dirty talk. Whew, whatever the sexual thing was, your mutual friend should have never shared that with you. Before we get into what to do about this specific situation, I wanna talk about all of the feelings in here, yours, hers, ours. The first thing that this story reminded me of on a much smaller scale is that moment when you're out to dinner with a bunch of people and you realize that you're the only one at the table that doesn't know something. You know that moment I'm talking about? Like one of the girls, one of your friends has a major update or like went on a date recently and you just realize that everyone's on the same page except for you. Like, you know, maybe it'll come out because one girl's like, by the way, how did it go the other night with Max? Like, who the fuck is Max? Why does everyone at the table seem to know who Max is? And I don't. Those moments, those moments are just such an ego hit. It's so awkward. And you have to decide in the moment whether you're gonna pretend you know what's going on or if you're gonna admit that you don't know. I have done both. I think that when I was younger, I used to just pretend more. I used to pretend that I knew who people were talking about, that I knew about the update. And that came from the same insecurity that you're talking about. Like, what does it say about me if I don't know everything that happened to you. But as I've gotten older and more confident in my friendships, now I just speak up, right? If I don't know who Max is, I'm like, wait, someone tell me who Max is. Like, I don't know about Max. And I think I'm able to do that because I have confidence and trust in my friendships that if they didn't tell me something, I, t I make the intentional choice to not take it so personally. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt in the moment, no matter how confident I can be in a friendship. Like there's always a little bit of a sting when you realize that other people are in on something that you don't know about. So I share that because you're experiencing that dinner table moment on what I know feels to you like a much larger, more personal existential scale. The second thing I thought about when reading this letter is how hard it is sometimes to talk to the people closest to us about the complicated experiences that we share. Sometimes it's just too close to home. Like, Okay, my parents got divorced when I was in middle school. My brother was five and my sister was 10. I think that was the ages. And we've all evolved since then. And I don't think that any of us are like continually plagued by my parents' divorce. Like we don't feel, I guess I'll just speak for myself. I don't feel, I don't feel regularly traumatized by the fact that I don't have parents who are married. But even though we all lived under the same house, we all have the same parents. We do not have the same experiences of this situation. And frankly, like I couldn't tell you exactly what my sister's experience is or what my brother's experience is or what my parents' experience is. Part of that, not knowing exactly what their experience is, is because one, we can never know exactly what someone's experience is, even if they tell us. But two, talking about, talking about it with them is hard. I have a much easier time talking to someone about my experience with divorce who isn't a part of my experience with divorce. When you're talking about something hard with a person who experienced it with you, I mean, it just like, it's like the ice just cracks. I don't know, sometimes we just don't wanna talk about our past with the people who were in the past with us. And I share this because I wonder if your friend is feeling any of that. Like, she might not be able to articulate to you that it's too close to home, but she might feel it. And I think it's a possibility worth considering for you as you unpack your feelings about why she doesn't wanna talk with you about her sex life, but she will talk to others. It's the, first, it's the first explanation that I thought of. And she actually said it to you when you asked her. She said it's uncomfortable for her because of you both growing up in the purity culture. But I think you're not thinking about, you're, I don't know if you are thinking about the piece of it that's like so home and sensitive and it might be just too emotional to talk about it with you. It doesn't mean that she doesn't feel close to you. It could also not be that deep. Like talking about sex just isn't for everyone. You call her your North Star bestie throughout the letter. And I think that part of your frustration and sadness is that 
you feel like the fact that she doesn't talk to you about sex threatens your status as North Star besties. But I need you and everyone listening to know that North Star besties do not need to talk about everything. How do I know this? Well, I'm the creator of the six besties theory and I make the rules and this is one of them. This feeling of like, we need to know everything about each other or else we can't be close. It's a really, it's a really sticky one. And I'm so glad that you're aware of it and wrote to me now and we're intervening because as soon as you start feeling entitled to somebody else's inner thoughts, no matter how close you are, you feel entitled to their private life. You feel like your relationship is threatened unless you know everything, you know everything that they share with other people. I think that that starts to butcher the authenticity of your relationship because then you're less focused on, you're less focused on your authentic bond and you're more focused on copying their bond with others or you're more focused on trying to build what you think is the authentic bond. But it's not. What's authentic is what is true to you guys. And if talking about sex isn't part of it, you're allowed to go through this period of feeling hurt and confused as to why not, but trying to force it into that, I don't know, I think it's a, I think it's a sticky road. So what do you do? It sounds like you've brought this up before and she actually gave you an answer. Let me look up, let me go back and look and see what the letter said. So when she had sex for the first time, when she lost her virginity, she told other people and not you, and you brought it up. I'm reading from your letter again. I brought it up to her at the time and asked why she didn't tell me and she sort of brushed it off and said she just felt weird talking to me about it because we both had grown up in that purity culture. Okay, so a few years ago, she already gave you an answer. Why was that answer not good enough for you? You mentioned that she brushed it off. So maybe like, maybe the conversation wasn't as in depth as you would like it to be. Maybe you didn't get what you needed then, but I'm so curious about why that answer doesn't feel good enough for you. Because it's an honest answer. We both grew up in this purity culture and I'm uncomfortable talking about it with you because of that. I think you need to think about why this bothers you so much. And your answer, your answer cannot be because we're North Star besties and that's what North Star besties do. They talk about everything, including sex. That isn't true. North Star bestie relationships are by definition free of pressure. That's different than free of conflicts. North Star besties can still disagree on things, but there's a level of radical understanding that is present in a North Star bestie relationship. That's actually the best, that's, that's the key definition here. When I think of the North Star besties in my life, there is no pressure. There's no pressure. We are on the same page. We know how we feel about each other. If I have to cancel dinner, I'm not stressing about how to communicate with them that I have to cancel dinner. They will never get mad at me for not telling them about something as soon as it happened. And I think that if you start to introduce pressure to this relationship by poking her to talk about something that she doesn't want to, I think that that, that will be the thing that threatens your friendship, not the fact that you don't talk about it. This is, this is what you need to ask yourself. Can I tolerate a close friendship with this person that does not involve talking about sex? Can you tolerate that? I can't answer that question. I don't know how important it is to you. But if talking about sex is a core value of yours, which I'd understand if it is um, given your, like, your sexual evolution, <laughs> then you're entitled to have close friends with whom you can talk about that with. I think it would be helpful for you to reframe the way you're thinking about this problem in your head. Because the way that we think about things, the way we train our brain to think about things, it does, it does affect the way we feel. And we can kind of retrain our brains to think about situations differently. So let me read you what you said to me. You said, I'd like to understand why she evidently feels like she can't talk to me about these things in the way she can with other friends. 
how do I ask her why she never talks to me about sex? If we take that sentence, I wonder how instead, how can you take responsibility for your reaction to the situation? Um, and how can you want to understand those feelings of yours rather than putting the onus on her to give you new answers to something that is really your insecurity? Let me show you what I mean and I'm gonna pretend to be you. So I'm you right now talking to myself. I love my friend and I don't want her to share things with me that she doesn't want to. It makes me feel a little threatened and jealous that she's comfortable talking about sex with other people, but not me. Are we not as good friends as I thought? Like that, that's allowing yourself to entertain the full spectrum of your thoughts and insecurities and feelings here. Cause that's what this is about. Are we not as close as I thought? Why does she want to talk about this with other people and not me? Give yourself permission to actually like feel those, feel those things completely. Being besties doesn't mean knowing everything because if you know everything, then there's nothing left to learn. Okay. Letter two. If I'm being completely honest with you, Hazelnuts, which is what I'm in the business of doing here, I just finished recording the first letter and I paused because my camera was about to be done recording. This camera that I use only has um, an hour of footage and I had already been recording for an hour. And I walked outside to where my husband, Rob, is eating lunch. And the first thing I said was, this is not going well. I don't know if I can do this. And he, Brian's really big. You'll hear me call him Brian and Rob. And to clear up the confusion once and for all, those are the same person. Those are the same person. His name is Brian Robinson. And when we first started hooking up in college, everybody, his name in college was B-Rob. That's his nickname. That's what a lot of his friends call him. And when we first started hooking up, I like wanted a cool, creative, independent name for him. So I started calling him Brob. So you'll hear me refer to him as both Brob and Brian. They are the same person. Anyway, back to my story. I ran out to tell Brob that I'm not going to be able to do this, this being the podcast. And he's really big on motivational quotes. Um, he does a gratitude journal every day and he's just a, he's just a big freaking sweetie. And he reminded me, he said, this is why they have the term rookies. Everyone has to start somewhere. And I'm like, well, shouldn't my first episode be perfect? He's like, your first episode is not going to be perfect. It's going to be really good, but it would never be perfect for you. You're going to get better. I'm butchering what he was saying, but I just wanted to be transparent with you that I'm really nervous about this. There's a really amazing Ira Glass quote about how I'm gonna, I'm gonna butcher this too. When you're creative, when you have um, entrepreneurial vision, when you are working to making something and your taste is so much better than what your ability is and you can work your whole life where you're just trying to get to the place where your ability matches your taste. And that's what I'm doing every day. I'm trying to just work so that my vision for myself, what I know I can make, the impact I know I can have, where the work is at the quality that I know it can be. I am my biggest enemy. And talking to myself in that way is not the way to make your first fucking podcast haze. You gotta be, you gotta be confident. You know you can do this. You know, you know what this can be. It can be so great and you need to just like own it. You are awesome. So enough with that bad fucking attitude. This is your first ever full episode. You're gonna learn something every time and you are good enough. Woo! Okay, now let's get back to letter two. <laughs> God, I'm fucking crazy. Hello, Hayes. Am I allowed to have feelings about knowing that I'm lower on someone's besties list than she is on mine? To put it into perspective, she'd be considered one of my OG besties. 
We're in our late 20s and we've both been close since high school, through college, and even now in the adult world, still living in the same area. She's someone I consider when I make trip plans with girlfriends or birthday dinners, and I try to keep up with her as much as possible, even as our lives get busier. However, I've started to realize that she does not prioritize me as much as she does her other friends. Last year, for example, a couple of our other friends tried to get Taylor Swift tickets. Ultimately, my friend wasn't able to come for financial reasons, and I went with the other friend. Fast forward to now. Taylor's coming back to the States, and I was gonna try to get tickets for my friends and I again, since she seems to be more financially stable now. When I asked her about going, she said she was already going to the concert, but in the UK next year with another friend. She didn't even consider going with me. The thing I really can't understand is how she's flying internationally to go for a concert, but it was too expensive to go with me when it was only one state away. There are many other examples of her not considering me as much as I do her. But since we're so much older and have been friends for so long, I don't know what to say to her about it or if I should say anything at all. What do you think, Hayes? Should I just adjust her bestie placement in my life with no explanation and not go out of my way to make plans with her anymore? Or should I say something? It's difficult for me to not feel silly to bring something like this up as women in our late 20s, both in serious relationships and just overall busy lives. But I'm struggling not to get upset with her every time she makes a plan that I would have considered her for, and she doesn't think about me at all. Yours, conflicted. Oh, there are so many great questions to answer in this letter and to address here, but to address your first, which is, can you have feelings about this? Yes, of course you can have feelings about this situation. You, you couldn't stop if you tried. That's the thing about feelings. We have them even when we don't want to. I think that what this problem boils down to is feeling like your old friend likes her other friends more than you or values time with her other friends more than you. And we're human beings with egos and sensitivities. And it makes sense that if you're thinking about your relationship in those terms, in the ranking order, I mean, it makes sense that it would hurt your feelings, which I guess begs the question, why are you thinking about this relationship like that? Why is the gut instinct for you to notice who she appears to like more than you or who she spends time with more than you? Why is this specific relationship subject to your comparisons? Why are you forcing yourself to be ranked? It's definitely not silly that you feel this way, even though you're in serious relationships and are busy and have other friends. I remember when I was younger, dealing with some really challenging friendship situations, like in middle school. I think middle school was when I had my first, I think middle school was when I had my first like real, real friendship, eating in the bathroom alone situation, which is a story for another time. And I remember thinking like, man, when I get older, when I get older, it's gonna be better. Everything's gonna be better when I'm older because these problems don't exist. And if, as, I, as I'm older now, I'm 30. Uh, oh, every, every time I say I'm 30, I feel a little, literally I'm wearing all this makeup. Not all this makeup, real it in haze. You're literally wearing some fucking concealer and blush. But my friend Allie is a makeup queen and I've been wanting to get a little bit better with my makeup. And for the Sephora sale that just happened recently, she sent me a list of stuff I should get. And I was just noticing in the mirror that like, I put a little bit of concealer. If you're not watching the video, I'm pointing to like the area. I'm pointing to my smile lines. Hey, they fucking know what smile lines are. I'm pointing to my smile lines. I could see the concealer like caking in my smile lines. What do I do about that? What do I do about that? Okay, anyway, what was I saying? I thought that when I got older, these problems would just go away. And of course they don't. Problems just become more intense because we're older and have more feeling. Um, and the more experiences we have, <laughs> the more hard things feel. So my point is, you shouldn't feel silly that you feel this way, but you should be curious about it, right? You should, you don't need to feel silly, but you can feel curious. I feel like that's the motto. Don't be silly, be curious. If I could, if I could boil down all of my advice, it usually, usually comes to that. I'm curious about why this specific friend is evoking this insecurity in you. 
Do you feel this way about other relationships in your life or is it just her? Since you've known each other for so long, I wonder if this is like a leftover thing from high school. Whoa. Think about your friendship from high school. Like what was the dynamic there? Was she the super popular one and you were her sidekick? <laughs> I sort of hate myself for using that example, but you know what I mean. Like was she, did she have something that you wanted as a 16 year old? And you were best friends, of course, and you would never admit, you would never admit to being jealous and to wanting those things. But is there something there? Because I wonder if there is, and if you never addressed it, or if you never allowed yourself to feel the full extent of it, I wonder if it could be coming out now. And in adulthood, you, you know, you want to be her favorite. You might want to be her favorite. I get that. I so get that. Oh my God. I mean, I don't, I don't have friends like this anymore, but I have had friends where the whole vibe of the friendship was just wanting to be loved by them and wanting to be wanting to be their favorite because when you were their favorite, you weren't subject to their petty comments or to their gossip. Um, and I'm projecting quite a lot right now. I know literally nothing about this friend other than the details you gave me, but I think it's worth it for you to ask yourself, what is it about this specific friend that's making me feel so insecure right now? Why am I thinking about whether she thinks I'm her best friend or not? And for anybody listening, if you have an OG bestie, somebody who you were friends with in high school and now you're an adult and you're feeling weird about the friendship and you're like, why does she like all these other people more than me? Ask yourself, could this be something left over from high school that I'm feeling? Just catching some vibes from your letter. Catching the vibes, catching them, catching them. I wonder if what you're feeling is a result of two things. Some inadequacy bubbling up from high school, but also could it be a sign of like the way that you show up in your adult friendships? Because you mentioned this thing about like, she's not considering me the way that I consider my other friends. What does that mean? Like you're a super caring friend. You think to include her in every dinner that you have with other friends. Take a moment to think about that for yourself. Are you the kind of person who describes yourself as a good friend? Like, is that, not, is that one of your core descriptions of yourself? I was having brunch with a new friend in LA recently and we talked about this. She actually said something so smart. She shared that in therapy recently, she realized that being a good friend was like one of the number one things that she would describe herself for. And it's great to be a good friend, but when you over-identify with being a good friend, I'm a good friend, that's who I am. That's what I do. I consider everyone. I think about everybody's feelings. That's your core identity. It might be overpowering you to the point where you, your expectations for other people are then way off. Sometimes your pursuit of wanting to be a good friend like might cause you to consider people in ways that they don't need to be considered. But then you're doing all this work and they don't really need that. If you're inviting this friends to every single dinner and that's feeling like, oh, I'm such a good friend. I always invite her to dinner. I always invite her to trips. Does she care? Like she might, she might not need that from you. But you're over here thinking that you're being this amazing friend. You're exerting all this energy to do this for her, but you're doing things for her that she doesn't need. And then you're starting to feel resentful about all that you're doing. And that doesn't mean she's a bad friend or a bad person, but you're on like, you're on different wavelengths. If it's going to hurt you to not receive the same type of consideration, then you might be doing too much. Maybe reel back a little bit. Like the Taylor Swift tickets, let's talk about that since that's the example that you gave. And I know this is just an example, but the thing about these letters, Hazelnuts, is that I try to picture you sitting down to write me them. And 
This is a very well-written letter. I imagine that you sat there being like, what's the best example that I can give Hayes? And of course it's just one example, but I do think the fact that you chose this example is telling. I think it says something. I think it means something that this was the example you chose. So I take that example seriously. I recognize that it's one of many. It does not tell the whole story, but it tells a story. It tells a story. It tells a story about you in your frame of mind when you wrote to me. And that's what we're doing here, right? I can't predict everything about your life, but I can use what you've given me to have a conversation with you in the moment that you're in right now. And I think this Taylor Swift example is a really good one. And it's very telling about how you're feeling. Rant over. So to review the scenario, your friend said she couldn't go to Taylor with you this year in the US with your other friends because the tickets were a bajillion dollars. You've noticed that it seems like she's in a better financial spot now. It seems like it. I'm curious what makes you think that. Are you observing the way she's spending? Did she tell you that she's in a better financial spot? It's an interesting thing to notice about someone and then to use that thing you notice to start making judgments, right? It seems like she's in a better financial situation. So I thought I'd get tickets for her. And now when I asked her, she said she was going with someone else in another country. How can she afford to do that when she couldn't afford to go with me? Now that she can go, that you assume she can go and you assumed correctly, you'd assume that she'd want to go with you given the opportunity because you asked her first. Wouldn't that be the right thing to do since you asked her first? I, I just, I don't think so. I don't think she has to go with you because you asked her first, but it's so much more than she doesn't have to. No one has to do anything, but I don't even think it's wrong that she didn't go with you. And I don't think it necessarily even says anything about how she feels about you. When we're in a sensitive state of mind, our brains jump to the worst possible conclusion. She's going to a show in the UK with another friend. She must hate me. She must love this friend so much more. She doesn't like me as much as I like her. <sighs> Look, I don't think that's useful. I don't think it's useful for you to think that way. I also don't think it's useful for you to do the judgmental money thing, which I understand. I totally understand. I think everybody who's ever had a friend tell them they can't do something with them because of money about a lot of, I, I bet my money that a lot of those friends then start observing what that friend is doing. And the moment they look like they're spending, they take it personally. They think it's a lot. You could look at it that way, but if you have the choice to look at it in a more optimistic way, like why wouldn't you? Also in defense of spending the money on a global Taylor concert, like I'm sure, I'm sure it was equally as expensive, but at least then that you're getting the like international experience. Whereas it can be really annoying to spend $1,200 to like drive, you know, the state next door, like to go to Arizona. I do really want to go to Arizona actually, but I'd rather go to London. Once you spend a thousand dollars, no, I mean, it's a lot of money. I was going to say, once you spend a thousand dollars, what's $3,000, a big difference, a really, really big difference. But if she's working hard and she has the money now, I can see how she would just want to like dive right in. At the end of the day, did she choose to go to a Taylor concert abroad with another friend instead of calling you to see if you want to go abroad or go local again? Yes, she did. But you're looking at this through a super personal lens when it might not be that deep. There's always going to be a negative personal way to look at things. Over the summer, I had a opportunity come up for my career that I was really, really excited about. And I jumped the gun and I told some of my friends and I couldn't believe that it was happening. And then it didn't happen. There's a really personal way to look at that, which is I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. Other people are more interesting than me. All of that could be true. But if I also, if I have the opportunity to just say, you know what, it's not personal. It wasn't personal. If I have the opportunity to say that to myself, why wouldn't I take that? Why wouldn't I take it? I'm saying it so simple because I truly believe, Hazelnut, that the more you train your brain to stop thinking, to stop being so mean to yourself, the more you start naturally doing it.
And that doesn't mean we don't need a little help. I, I just literally had a meltdown in between reading these letters to my husband outside telling him that I'm not doing a good job and I, I need, I, I, that I want to do a good job. This isn't, this isn't a learned skill overnight, but together I think we can stop taking things so personally. For your big question, should you adjust your expectations? Yes, but I think you're taking things a little bit far in your definition of that. You said, should I adjust her bestie placement in my life with no explanation and not go out of my way to make plans with her anymore? Or should I say something? Readjusting your expectations of someone does not mean that you need to cut them out of your life and stop making plans with them. We're so many steps away from needing to do that, I think. In this case, adjusting bestie placement just means taking it down a notch. You call her your OG bestie in the letter, but I think that you might be thinking of her as your North Star bestie. And this is where the shift begins. You write, I'm struggling not to get upset with her every time she makes a plan that I would have considered her for and she doesn't think about me at all. Love, OG besties don't always think about each other first thing in every plan they make. Like that's the whole point of establishing an OG bestie. You might have done that a long time ago when you were in high school, but things have changed now. And I, I recognize that you guys live in the same place, you live in the same neighborhood. So it makes that, it makes that shift harder to process and harder to notice. But I think that's what's happening here. If she's not suggesting that you go on vacation together or concerts or like these big activities, she's turning down invitations for those big, big moments. But if she's available for other types of hangs, like do those things. It seems like you are looking for these big declarations of friendship, but friendship can be declared in the small moment. Loosening the grips on the friendship might actually make it better. That's what I would try to do, loosen the grips a little bit. I would try to do that before confronting someone about how they don't care about me enough. Because after all, that's never gotten someone to care about us more. Moving on to our third letter. Hello, Hayes. I recently got engaged to my amazing fiance, but I've been disappointed with my friend's lack of celebration. The friends he had in on the proposal have been lovely and celebrated me with calls, cards, and small gifts, even if they live far away. My disappointment comes from my local friends who acknowledged our proposal when I told them or when they saw online, but they haven't said anything in person or offered to celebrate with us. Do I have unrealistic expectations? Is it unrealistic to want to be celebrated for something this exciting by my local friends? I'd like to believe that if it was them who got engaged or experienced some other exciting change, I would have gotten them a gift or taken them out for a coffee or meal. I feel like my disappointment in some is overshadowing the gratitude I feel for others. I know the engagement is about the love between my fiance and I more than anything else, but I want my friends to show excitement too. Am I wrong for feeling disappointed? How can I manage my expectations of my friends? Yours? Disappointed fiance. Mm. You mentioned something so important in this letter, which is about how your feelings are impacting you. A lot of times in these letters, you know, when we're navigating friendship expectations and we're feeling disappointed in someone, there's all this focus on them. We want to tell them how upset we are. We're upset with them. It's all about them. And I appreciate how in this letter you see the bigger picture. Your disappointment in them is overshadowing how you feel about other joyful things, how you feel about the friends who are celebrating you in a way that resonates, maybe even overshadowing your joy about your engagement. It's so important to get ahead of this now because I'll tell you as the wedding continues, this feeling is only gonna get more intense. I get it though. I get focusing on the disappointment. Our brains are hardwired to focus on the negative more than the positive. You know, I experience this, I experience this daily and it's why I mentioned earlier, I've been so intentional about trying to just choose, trying to make a choice about seeing the positive when my brain, when maybe my gut instinct would be to see the negative. It's so important that you're getting ahead of this now because the whole, the whole wedding experience is designed to make you feel disappointed and inferior and stressed, which I don't think anybody wants to talk about. And you know, the wedding planners would cringe to say that, but it, you, spend, you spend more 
when you feel worse. If you're feeling sad or concerned about something about the wedding, you're gonna put more energy into trying to make it the most perfect event of all time, which often means spending more. And listen, don't get me wrong, I love weddings. I eat up the images. I mean, when I was engaged, I didn't think that I was gonna be this type of bride, but like Pinterest, mood boards, I didn't think that I was gonna care about wedding invitations and I went crazy, crazy about finding the perfect hand-drawn calligrapher, finding the perfect artist to make a custom crest and please. So this conversation is not just about managing expectations of your friends. It's also about managing your expectations of your wedding and how people are gonna to react to your wedding and how they're gonna care about it. Because listen, it's a painful truth, but no one's gonna care about your wedding as much as you and as much as the people who are paying for it, which might be you, but you know, could also be whoever. We'll circle back to that. But let's, let's debrief your actual engagement for a second because your feelings are real. Engagements do stir this up. I don't know, from a young age, we're told that your engagement, your wedding, it's gonna be the best thing ever. It's gonna be when everyone's gonna celebrate you. It's your time to shine. And if, if you've never felt that way in your life, you've never felt that people have paid attention to you or celebrated you, the moment you get engaged, you're then super aware of how other people are reacting and whether you're getting your moment, whether you're getting this, this experience that you've waited for forever, that you've been told is gonna be so amazing and it's all about you. Um, sometimes when I make videos about this on TikTok, I'll get some comments that are like, what is with everybody's obsession to wanna to be the center of attention? And I think that's, like I get that question, but it's not a very empathetic way of looking at it. I get why people wanna be the center of attention. So many people have never received attention at all are made to feel boring and insignificant and like they have nothing interesting to say. And then this idea, where it's shoved down our throats. The wedding is the moment where you are interesting, you are beautiful. It's a time to show your taste and your style and how you throw an event, how you host. If you've been waiting for this moment forever for people to celebrate you, it's natural to then notice who isn't. But I wanna actually talk about, let's actually break down the facts of your engagement so we can start to differentiate what, what's, what's real and what is felt. Feelings are always real, but they're not always the things to act on. So your fiance did get many of your friends involved. They showed up for you in a way that feels celebratory and great. You're acknowledging that. It's the friends that he did not involve in the engagement that you're upset about. It sounds like those friends haven't done anything beyond like a simple congratulations. <sighs> but depending on the friendship, like if you're not involved in the engagement, it might be unrealistic to expect those people to celebrate you in a way beyond congratulations. Congratulations is, that's kind of what it is. It's very nice that you think you would do that for other local friends, but I don't think it's the norm. Like it would be a delight if someone did, but it wouldn't be something that I would expect from someone who I describe as a local friend. What does local friend mean actually? Is it a new friend? A local friend to me is like a, a proximity friend. Somebody I, I, somebody I hang out with because they're here. Defining a local friend is key here. Local friends, I don't know if local friends throw each other engagement celebrations. There's also the chance, I don't know how old you all are, but engagements and love and relationships, like depending on, depending on where you are all at in your life, these friends might have some meh feelings about engagements. Like maybe they're just kind of over it. They're over everybody finding love while they're still looking for love. There's just all sorts of, there's all sorts of complicated emotions that could be going on here about why they haven't thrown you a party. And I just, I think so many of them could have nothing to do with them not being excited for you. I'm also wondering if there's a chance that their feelings could be hurt. If they're just local friends, whatever that means, if they're, if they're casual friends, then I don't think their feelings would be hurt. But if they're close friends, might they be, might they feel bad that they weren't included in the engagement celebration? They might be like, oh, look at all these other friends that were invited to the engagement shoot or to the engagement party and we weren't. Maybe they're not even, maybe their feelings aren't hurt, but they saw that 
And they interpreted that as, but well, we weren't invited to that, so why would we throw something else? Again, I don't know the dynamics of this friendship, but that's another possibility. But to circle back on what I said in the beginning, your engagement, your wedding, it's just not going to be the biggest deal to people who aren't you and your family and your closest, closest friends. It's the same, it's the same way with any of our personal accomplishments, but engagements in particular, other people just don't care about them as much as we think they will. I don't say that to be like doomsday depressing. It can take off some of the pressure. We set ourselves up for disaster if we hinge our happiness on everybody else in our life, celebrating our big moments the way that we think we would celebrate with them. You know, you said, you said you'd like to believe that you'd celebrate them with gifts or dinner. How have you ever done that? Has there ever been a celebration where you have done that for them? Or is you getting engaged the first time that has ever called for a celebration in this friendship? You're not a bad person. That doesn't mean I'm not saying that to criticize you. Just a fair question. Like, how have you... Celebrating each other in a new friendship, there has to be a first time. There's a first in every friendship. And learning how to celebrate each other, that's something that you do as a community, as a group. Is this the first thing that's happened among your local friends that's called for celebration? Because listen, this might be controversial, but I'm all about planning your own celebratory shit. Like if being celebrated in a specific way really matters to you, I would take that into my own hands. Like I think it's totally kosher to suggest the celebration that you want to do. I probably would have suggested this. Like if I have a group of friends who I want to celebrate my engagement with, I want to have that special moment. I want to share it with them. I want to blow out some candles and, you know, have a picture of Rob's face. I would say that I want to do that. I would not wait around hoping that somebody would suggest it for me. There is no shame in that. I actually think it's the coolest thing in the world to know what you want and to say it. Let people off the hook. Don't make them read your mind. When I got engaged, Rob had planned a little thing with some of my friends that were some of my New York friends, which is where I live. Not all of them, but some of them. And I had my OG besties, which were home in Boston. And when, oh my God, this was such a happy time. The first trip we went back home after we got engaged, I think I suggested to my OG besties and their partners, I want to go out to dinner to celebrate. Maybe they, I, I'm sure I suggested it because it would never have even crossed my mind to hope that they would, that they would suggest it. Um, and the dinner was amazing. Like they got us a set of Tiffany champagne flutes and I still use them and love them. And there's no shame in, there's no shame in setting your own parties, setting your own celebratory stuff. That, that's all to say, you probably still are expecting too much from these people. The people, the friends of yours who were included in the engagement, who knew about it in advance, those are probably the people who you can plan and expect to like show up for you in the extra way to take you for coffee, to treat you to dinner. It's probably those people. And that's why they were invited to the engagement party. That's why they were in on it because you're that level of closeness. And that's the whole premise of Six Besties Theory. You cannot expect everything from everyone. Not every single friend in your life is gonna be the friends to throw you an engagement dinner. I do have a question for you though, and it's similar to the question that I asked in the last letter, which is what is it about these local friends that's triggering this in you? Because it's not like you have no friends celebrating you. It sounds like you had a lot of friends celebrating you. It's just these local ones. Let's rewind to before you got engaged. How do you feel about these local friend relationships? Have they known each other for a long time and you're new to the group? Is it that you have been wanting to be close with these people and you feel like closeness is shown in big moments? And now that the big moment has come, they let you down. So it's kind of making you rethink everything. I don't think it needs to be a moment to rethink everything. I think it's actually an opportunity for you. If you want to go from being local friends to being close friends, you have an opportunity now to invite them in, in your celebration. 
right? They might not be as confident or they might not be as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They might not be, it takes a certain level of confidence and boldness to like be the kind of friend that treats for dinner and celebrates in such a big, abundant way. Why don't you start the trend, right? Like it's actually an oper- it's actually an opportunity for you. You might have pre-disappointment here. Why don't you ask them to go to dinner? Say, hi guys, I want to go to dinner to celebrate. So instead of thinking about it as a disappointment, I think you can see it as an opportunity. And that's a wrap of our first ever episode of Hello Haze. I'm going to be back next week. And if you're listening to this, wherever you get your podcast, please leave a review. Do whatever you're supposed to do with podcasts. I probably should look that up. What is the call to action for podcasts? I want to make this the biggest advice column in the world. And if you know me, you know I do not give up easily. So I'm going to keep working hard to make that dream happen. If you watched this episode on YouTube, please hit the like button, subscribe. I'll be back with new episodes every week. Say hello in the comments. I cannot wait to meet you.